Got I, it. I got it. Yay. Hello, everybody. Hello, Oliver. How are you? I'm good and kind of, yeah. Bad answer. We're going to let you have a do-over. Okay, being good, that means we failed. <clears throat> Could you be a little more creative in your, here we go, shift, go. Oliver, how's it going over there? I feel a lot of fear to be back in my normal life and trying to balance all the things I have to do and all the things that I want to do. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of using my anger to keep the flame burning, meeting a lot with Kian and Eva to kind of continue what we've been doing in Portugal. And that helps. Thank you. Thank you. It's so, I feel so glad that you get to be with Kian and Eva and, and uh, keep holding the space basically. Keep, keep, uh, keep the ball rolling or keep, keep them, you know, the evolution from grinding to a halt in the face of mediocrity. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I feel sad like hearing you repeating that back to me and glad that I have this opportunity and also sad that I don't have more community around here, even more. Yeah. Yeah. For now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dor, you're back in Israel. Yes, I'm back in Israel, Clinton. And I want to just celebrate with everyone this nine months of, of a journey, of an adventure all over the, the world, basically me doing, starting with the ETB and the lab in Portugal and going to this crazy tour, meeting trainers in Costa Rica, in Mexico, even in the States, coming back for the possibility for the Intimacy Village, Intimacy Journey Lab, and now I'm back in Israel. I'm taking a stand for Possibility Management Israel here. And I initiate that in a, in a festival. I just did a workshop in a festival. I have so much fear and joy to do it because there's big gremlins here and there is my big gremlin. And there's a lot of work for me. And I, I need everyone's support, especially feedback from everyone, possibilities and whatever. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, in a way you hit a nail on the head, you know, by, by uh, this request for feedback from everyone needs to be balanced out by our own awareness and discipline, you know, our own experimenting with new behaviors because nobody can do that, no matter how much feedback we get, you know, from this way or that way or any kind of feedback, nothing is really going to make a difference until we, our own discipline, our own decision makes new behavior changes. So it's really about that. I think, I think there's in, uh, there's a, the third Back to the Future film, there's a quote where the sheriff from the town is talking to his son. He says, 
discipline. Remember that word, son, discipline. And, you know, it sounds so bad in a way because discipline is this, is also means punishment. It also, it, and so, but discipline is this art form that, that makes talent. If you watched uh, the last samurai movie and, and the Tom Cruise's ongoing comments about the culture over there that made every single part of their life into a, an art form from, you know, from every kind of flower arranging and tea pouring and rice making and fire building and every element of, of the clothing and the gardening, the whole, every part of it was this discipline that made for created such a an elegantly energized environment. And I think all of us have an attraction to this energized environment. And that's that's I think why we're studying this book together is because of the the clarity and possibility that comes through about new behaviors that can create this energized relating and energized interacting. And, and not just through some method, but through ongoing improvisation and, and creating, collaborating. Mia, hey, we haven't seen you for a long time. How are you? Tell us what's going on. Well, I think I've listened to week 59 um, on my third go around because it's so full of great food. So thank you so much for that. And also thank you for taking time off last week even though I missed it, I've been listening to all the recordings and week 59, for those of you listening to this recording, please listen to it. It's just so good. There's so much in there every week, but especially week 59. So I just wanted to thank you for that. What was the theme of week 59? <laughs> uh, wow. Um, the distinction between feelings and emotions and where emotions come from, the mm. different places they come from. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Thank you. And and Michelle, you're calling from, from Yucatan, where are you? Hi, everyone. I'm first, I'm very glad to be back here in this space today. I missed you a lot. I had a whirlwind of, yeah, things happen. After the ETB, my mom fell really sick and we spent 17 days in the game world of a hospital. And I say it like that because I feel glad that mom is recovering nicely. I'm in Mexico City. And I also feel glad because two of the doctors want to do healing sessions with me. And so I went into their game world and they ended up wanting to be in my game world. And it was rough and, and I feel glad to be here. So I'll be here for another three weeks, uh, helping mom recover. And by the way, uh, it was supposed to be a death sentence and it wasn't. And I feel really glad about that too. She completely surprised us all. Wow. So here she is to stay. Yeah. Oh, Michelle. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. And and nada te Nada. What did I say? Nothing. 
I said, come on. I said, te darte salipni kamala. Nope. You have a, a caution camel sign in, behind you. Yes, I do. I, I was trying to ask you if I could borrow your camel. What language? That I don't know. Mm. Well, no, you cannot borrow my camel. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love any it. Re <laughs> any report on the Egyptian front? Mm. Yes. Um, Yes, some people are curious when I say the word rage club. And uh, I took a decision to, to do an in-person rage club after the space holder training in September. So in September, I'll hold a rage club in person for women. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, I could already see the eyes of some friends going like rage club is there a space where i can scream and i'm like yeah <laughs> i'm in <laughs> like so i'm uh, <laughs> i'm excited about that yeah that's what's going on okay mm. thank you for the report thank hey you. emily how are you what's going on with you Emily, you want to say something? Oh, hello. Um, thank you for the invite. Um, I connected with Jeff a little bit on Instagram. Just uh, a lot of his message resonated with me. And I just said hello and just said thank you. And I just feel um, I'm in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. And uh, sometimes it can just feel alone to feel this way. And um, I just said, you know, thank you for putting out a message that just made me feel less alone. So thank you. All right. Well, almost every Monday we are here not being alone together. I appreciate that. Thank you. If you want to practice, we're in the part of the book that's where we're distinguishing between anger, sadness, fear, and joy. And we memorized the sentence, I feel angry, sad, glad, or scared because, and if you were to say that, a truthful sentence, what would you say right now? I feel glad that I have an open mind. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we will inspect the reaches of your open mind for the next two hours. If, and see how well you assessed yourself. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Is there a report over there from the Possibilica headquarters? Or are you guys on lockdown? What are we, what are we cooking? Ooh, go with Devin. You start, we'll go down the line. What are we cooking? You have to speak up really loud. You have to get close to the computer. Alrighty, I am uh, cooking a intro to Rage Club this week and being cooked for by marvelous people and this in a way also being um, hosted in this marvelous first Bridge House Devalaya pop-up uh, at Divion Shoes in Ravensburg and it's beautiful and spacious and hmm, 
And Vera's turn. <laughs> <laughs> I've been. Doesn't really work. Does it? No. Uh, I've been cooking. The just getting all the list of all the possibilitators in the possibilitator training, getting the archive. Um, the information, everyone's information, so that I soon can put it online. And so cooking up just the clarifying and uh, organizing the basic structure of the possibilitator training and being cooked in this amazing team uh, that has discovered some leftover things from my childhood, that things that I was is still keeping me small. And so everybody gave me feedback and a new, new um, feedback of, of, of the things that are left over and uh, new spaces also to come in. So that like Clinton said, it's not just about the feedback, but what are the new experiments? What are the new ways that I can say or move into that are in adult ego state? Brian. Yes, Brian, I'm, I've been similar to Vera pondering like, what is my, what are my quirks as an adult? Like what are, what is the personality that I have that makes me me, that can enliven a space? And before this call, I was just outside with a large branch, using it as a sword, trying to I don't know, do something that is different. And I'm gonna keep experimenting with new behaviors to develop this new character of mine. So that's where I'm at. Thank you. And Chloe, here in this uh, roaming, we've been, this Possibilica headquarters have been roaming uh, from the trainings in Portugal to Ericeira and now in Germany, uh, south, southwest Germany. And we're here in this house that yesterday became a bridge house. It was discovered that it was a bridge house. And, and Divyam Shu, who's the space holder and the, the mage and alchemist of this space, is, is, is taking a stand for this house to become what it's been waiting for almost eight years to become. And, and, and this weekend, uh, Sophia Magdalena Offman is delivering her official practice Expand the Box. I will be holding space for her. Brianne will be in there and Vera will be uh, also holding space for Sophia Magdalena. So this is one of the reasons that why we're here. And personally, it's more, I'm, I'm it's kind of this in between between the trainings and trying to wrap this up and then having the calls that I didn't have during this month before Clinton and I take off for Costa Rica next Tuesday. Uh, and then, and then a new chapter and sort of a, yeah, new, I think a new chapter, a new uh, dimension of me and, and what I'm sourcing and what we're sourcing with Clinton and with this whole Possibilica team will emerge. Um, so trying to tie up loose ends before that, that starts. Thank you. Thank you. And Chloe, what does bridge house mean exactly? 
Yes, let's have it on recording. <laughs> then I can send people to week 60 to listen to this. The, I, 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 came up, I think I came up with the name, let's, let's make a bridge house. And I didn't really get it before that. There's really houses that are built on bridges. And, and that this bridge is to move from one space to another. And in consideration to what we would be doing in the bridge house is how to move from one culture, modern culture, into the next. And we're, we're meeting people basically almost halfway. So it's edge workers who've already walked to the edge of modern culture and who are in this liquid state, freaking state, you know, freaking out um, and, and how to how to step into sort of like what Emily was saying of, God, I feel so alone. I feel so alone being an edge worker. Okay, well, there's a thing called the bridge house where you can come and, and it would be a, a intense cooking initiation space for basically a year to a year and a half to, to get and then be shot out on the other side and, and, and deliver your archetypal lineage uh, for next culture in next culture. So some people would live in next culture and, and other people would basically be also probably bridge house space holders or, or somehow live on this bridge uh, as, as initiators, as, as midwife, as whatever the archetypal lineage is. And so it's a, but it would take a physical form. Like in a way, the possibilitator trainer has been, has been you know, training this possibilitator, the jobs of, of next culture, how to provide shift into next, next culture. And it's been online. And now the, this dimension of the bridge house is let's have a physical place where people live together and create culture together and face into these questions that uh, there's some questions that only apply when we live together. And, and that would be kind of this, this, this stew, this cooking pot for everybody. Yeah, space holders and bridges. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah, one of the main purposes of the bridge house is to train people how to build more bridge houses. And so we hope it's a mimetic virus that spreads all over the world and creates these experimental places where people can move in, learn how to live in next culture, and then actually never go back. To the, and spread that around. So anybody wants to get involved in that or help support that, please just get in touch with us. We're building some websites about Bridge House stuff now and we'll just keep exploring just like we do and you guys do. Does anybody wanna say anything else before we <coughs> jump? Somebody like Tiffany, Tiffany, would you like to say something? Welcome Tiffany. Come in, Tiffany. Are you there? Hi, sorry. Yes, I'm here. Um, Hi. Thanks for calling on me. Uh, um, just thank you for holding space. Um, I'm also, I'm in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And um, for me, I could get quite lonely. So I'm glad to have a group to join every week and get some good food and so. Great. Can you tell us <clears throat> if you said, I feel mad, say glad or scared, what would you say 
skip the glad one. You have to say one of the other ones. I feel, I feel joy. Um, and I also feel a little bit of fear. About? Uh, speaking. <laughs> and um, what is going to happen next for me here in Rio de Janeiro? Yeah, Rio, it's a wild place. T Tiffany, are you connected with the possibilitator, the possibilitators in, in Brazil? Are you connected with the group? I connected with uh, Vera one time, I think. Okay. And, um, but at the time that she was holding uh, possibility management here, I was traveling and I wasn't sure, I wasn't able to make the dates, so. I, but I'm I'm connected here. Yeah. I just want to say there's two uh, possibilitators who came, who we met in Portugal just like a week ago, and they really took a stand to hold possibility teams online, probably, and and so it'd be great for you to connect so you don't feel so much this aloneness because I know there's not many people in in, in Rio right now, but in Sao Paulo and Florianópolis and in Belo Horizonte, and so. Okay. Cool. We'll, I'll connect with you after them about it. Great. Anything from the Emma and Jeff department? I want to share something. Just a minute, just a minute. Great. Emma and Jeff, anything? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, last week was, I was looping in my underworld and it was really dark and um scary and um yeah i i realized that this pattern comes up in all of my relationships whenever i i lose myself and i completely take on the the energetics and the I, I, I am I am like so affected by everything my partner does because I lose like my sense of self and yeah it's really um, it's a really scary place and yeah, yeah. and yeah I, I got really clear on how I do that so much. Oh, wow. So you're clear about the, the bubble enmeshment? Yes. <clears throat> giving your center away and getting your bubble energetically enmeshed as a, yeah. Yeah. Cause this is the pattern we have from being with our parents. We're inside the parents bubble and adulthood starts when you separate and you have your own bubble like that. So you're working on that stuff, eh? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Good work. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Emma. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Kian, go ahead. Yes. Mm. I want to share that, or no, the, the speaking about the bridge house really rung a bell within me and 
Um, actually, I started writing just this morning together with Julian. We meet for for like Pomodoro's, like 25 minutes of writing and then and then making a break, making an exchange, and then again writing for 25 minutes. It's a really cool exercise. Actually, I can recommend that. And I I started writing the codex for a game world this morning, and it was basically what well, I had a call with Uncle before about that, but. Um, basically, it, it really this this image of a bridge house really calls me in the moment, and I'm really yeah I'm I feel I feel the call, and I want to step in for that. And I arranged a call with Divam Shu actually also just a few minutes ago next week about that and about enlivening his place in in from September or October on something like that. And yeah, I'm looking for people who want to, I um, who want to, who want to live together for maybe ten months or something like that, and practice the possibility management context and really, yeah, do experiments together and do processes, bring projects into the world, and really that thing about having this training space to kind of, yeah, to kind of make enough space so the archetypal lineage of each person that can come through in the world during that time and after that time. Thank you. Great. Well, definitely you would, if you're going to do that, need to communicate about feelings. And so that's the section we're going to jump into right now. It's on page 181, section 6-5, if you're reading along. Starts like this. Communications are a combination of energy plus information. Energy plus information. The energy serves as a carrier wave. that transports the information. So the energy carries the information like that. We do not usually realize this. Our ordinary communications are often incomplete. So ordinary, remember, we, we're, just, we're dividing in human interactions into three domains, ordinary, extraordinary, and archetypal. And so when we say ordinary, what we mean is this standard human intelligence thought word that we're given uh, by being born in modern culture. And so, what, so ordinary communication ignores, oftentimes ignores the carrier wave. We try to transmit the information mind to mind, and we don't deliver the energy that carries the information. So this incompleteness can make the communications inauthentic, confusing, and shallow. And I, I, I want to mention how we have five bodies, and each of the five bodies needs food. So it's obvious that the physical body needs sunlight and water and fresh air and things like that, good food. But the energetic body also needs food and what how can you have what what kind of food feeds your energetic body well 
That's impressions, for example, different kinds of impressions. So communication, a well-formulated, elegant, sophisticated and completely delivered communication is an, a beautiful thing. It's an energetic impression. And, and the into, intellectual body needs food. So it needs the information, but it needs it well supported. And the emotional body needs food, which it means it needs the, the emotional energy that comes clearly across about which feeling is carrying the communication. And the archetypal body also needs food, which has to do with transformation, evolution, and, and the, the, mis the mysteriousness of life is part of the archetypal level. So every single one of our five bodies needs food. And it's not like 20%, 20%, 20%. It 100% for the energetic, 100% for the physical, 100% for the emotional, etc. So you need full diet in each of your five bodies. And we've not been trained how to take care of ourselves that way. So oftentimes we feel something is off. Something is out of balance. Something is wiggly. And we we're actually starving ourselves in one or two or often three of our, or maybe even four of our bodies. And we don't even know that because we have not been educated about this. But now that you've heard about the distinction, start documenting in your beep book. Okay, today, how did I feed my intellectual body? How, and so it's, it's really wonderful here in the, in the bridge house environment because people here are reading books from the Possibilitator book list, which is on this Go Explore website. And the books are so nutritious. Really, it's so nutritious, and they actually, we, we read books out loud to each other. So in the background, we can hear people reading books to each other, and the, the, the energetic, archetypal, and intellectual, emotion, and emotional food that's happening by reading certain books to each other is fabulous. So like, when was the last time, for example, that you read out loud a book with somebody, a whole book with each other? And a special book, one of the books that has this transformational effect, like the ones on the list at the Go Explore website. So this is this is a kind of way that you know you can check in your in your beat book. Okay, today, how did I feed my archetypal body? Today, how did I feed my energetic body? And you keep track of that for about a month, and you might be pretty shocked by that you've been starving yourself in a number of your bodies, and that. It's a totally new kind of behavior to get this other kind of foods for yourself. And, and so when you have a possibility team, you can, you can have this conversation with your possibility team and say, let's feed ourselves. Let's have a feast in five bodies. Let's come together and you know, really indulge in an, uh, and counteracting this starvation diet, this scarcity diet that most of us are on. Really, let's, let's work together for that. Because, in, you know, because of the design of modern culture, a lot of us are feel like we're lone wolves. You know, we don't have a team around us. We don't have people understanding the kind of experiments that we're doing to, to uh, to quote unquote expand our box or to, to for example, uh, 
for example, um, decontaminate our adult ego state from the gremlin ego state or the child ego state or the parent ego state, for example. Like this kind of stuff takes work. And that means it takes energy. You have to take energy in so you can have the energy to use in the kind of work that you're doing. And it's so often that people in our nearby environment are not doing the same kind of work. So it's so great to have a possibility team where you can come together and really build up your stamina by having enough input that you can then for the rest of the week, you can uh, uh, use your energy for doing the uh, experiments <clears throat> and the work that you're doing. So, so we're talking about getting fed in your five bodies and, and, and the ordinary communications do not do that. So you can make it a practice. Let's see, I'll just keep reading the book and it will, it will tell us about that. So the impulse for communication comes from the energy of feelings. So I'm, and I'm, I'm saying, I'm going to substitute the word emotions because it's almost always emotions at first that really are the energy that carries our communications. So to deliver a whole communication, you would then express both the energy, which is the emotional content, and the informational content of the communication each time, both the emotions and the data. This is a new skill. When you do not recognize that there is a carrier wave of emotions supporting your message, the emotions doing the carrying is often joy. So uh, an emotional joy is a fantasy world. I just want to be clear about that. When I first discovered that, it made, made for a really bad part of my evolutionary phase because I lived a lot in an emotional fantasy world of joy. Uh, the carrier could also be fear because fear often manifests itself as paralysis or numbness. So you do not at first recognize that it is fear, but most often this carrier is joy. Joy is a natural background steady state emotion, or excuse me, feeling in every human being. Um, this is a an adult experience, and I don't expect us to be centered enough in adult world that it makes sense what I just said. But if you meet possibility managers who or possibilitators who have done a bunch of labs, you know, who've already gone through these evolutionary processes, a, a lot of times you might you might think of them as kind of inhuman because they're basically okay, even if they haven't, even if they're from New York, the Jewish side of town, and they have an I'm not okay box, you know, still, they're actually basically going through their life okay, because the background natural state of a human being is this a, a kind of ecstasy. And so it's, it's difficult to, for if you haven't experienced that yourself, it's difficult to imagine, but it's, it turns out to be True. So I, I hope a lot of you discover that on your path as you continue here. Joy is so abundant and familiar in the adult ego state, in the adult world, that it is often not recognized. To admit 
like imagine this if you what would your life be like what would your relationships be like if you admitted to the people around you that you are actually mostly very happy in your life like basically ecstatic in your life what what would that be like for you to go for to spend a year uh, in a, the authentic sharing of actually my i'm ecstatic in my life okay, okay what would that be like to to those people around you would they think you went crazy would they think that you're lying would they think that you're you're in a sect some kind of cult or something would they would they uh be able to even understand how would they even talk to you if you did not complain or blame or have you know a, a breakdown like three or four times a week or like how could you even possibly find friends if if either you were not solving their problems or they're solving your problems how could you even talk to each other like who are you if you don't have some kind of emotional problem going on so so this is it's a, a huge driver for our inability to uh, discover in the adult ego state that this immense quantity of ecstasy is abundantly rolling around and building a foundation for us to uh, do the work that we actually came here to do on the world. Emma, are you going to say something or what? Yeah, I, I'm just getting confused because. Um, Wait, could you please say angry instead of. Yeah, confused? thank you. Uh, I feel angry because I don't have clarity on. Um, what is emotional joy and what is feeling joy? And when we talk, when you read this about how joy is so abundant and what if you admitted that we're you're mostly happy so if you're mostly happy then that feeling of joy is longer than three minutes so then my mind goes but isn't that emotional joy it uh great it turns out to be a feeling of happiness about three seconds long about the flower over there that smells really good you know and then a feeling of joy for about 20 seconds about this water I just drank. You know, it's a um, another 20 seconds because I have this really warm shirt on and the air is kind of cool here. I mean, it's it's a, an ongoing multiple series of relating to the world in a in a from clarity and power. It's actually from presence and clarity and power and in a creative collaborative creation relationship with the world this is the adult uh ego state stuff and so that's how it's distinguishable from the emotions because the emotions is essentially longer than three minutes about one thing like that thank you and Kian, you're going to say something yes i just had the um three 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 practice with all four feelings and joy came in the end and i think i got a glimpse of of what you just shared because i could just open my body to the joy that is kind of that it just has or that is just about about being alive about 
the sun shining through my window and it had this quality of also creating kind of that it, so i wonder this is the question i have it had the quality of actively being in that state and what you hear it sounds more like you you the, you feel the feeling of joy consequently because you're in the adult ego state and and i wonder yeah this is my i i i would like to have clarity about is it something active i i do living yeah it's not something active that you do because it's a uh but it is active because it, it rolls along. It rolls along from this to that, to this to that in a, in a creative relationship. So in the, the act of creation itself is so ecstatic, it's almost like being in love. And so that, that's also part of the ecstasy is ongoingly mm, creating in, in collaboration with the world around you like that. Yes. I mean, the usual thing that we are told by modern culture is this thing is life is hard and then you die. And so, and that's our, that's what is so common. We don't even laugh about it anymore. So to admit that you are, I'm reading back from the book again, to admit that you are considerably happier than you realized before it begins by admitting that you feel happy even in those moments when the happiness only lasts for two or three seconds. And that's, that's uh, why if you're not paying attention to the information and the carrier wave, you will miss that. So like, for example, you know, you have a sip of orange juice or something and you get two seconds of this incredible joy. And if you don't, if you're not, if your now is not small enough to, to embody the, the ecstatic joy from the taste of the orange juice, then you're, you will miss other kinds of joy that are emerging all around all the time. So the practice is to actually admit and notice when those short bursts of happiness happen, because there's this some concept we have about, you know, you, sh you should be happier. You should try to be happier. Happiness is the goal. And the idea, the concept is, well, then you're happy all the time about everything. And this is a, a fantasy world. And so the, the shift here is to shift into these nano doses of what's going on. It's like lowering your numbness bar and getting the low level of feelings and emotions and, and using them. Because if, by skipping all of that, you're, we're, we're in a non-textured world. Like we, we go into this bland world of everything's averaged out. Whereas if you lower your numbness bar, it's really, there's a lot going on in the lower levels. And that's what I'm talking about. These lower levels of feelings and emotions have so much energy and information. You just have to lower your numbness bar down and use it in your communication. So like with adult feelings, you may begin noticing that you can even feel glad about feeling angry, for example. You feel angry and you make a decision, you clean something out, you make a boundary, you say what you want, and you feel glad about it, even though it was anger that was driving your action. You feel glad about feeling sad or scared. You know, when fear comes for me and I get this shock or this 
know, my hair stands up or I get this, this shaky stuff in my stomach or something. And I just turn to the fear and I say, welcome fear. What do you have for me? And the fear tells me, I'm just glad about it. I'm so glad that this, that we're human beings have, are designed with this delicate nervous system that's so in, in tune with the universe that the fear itself can give us so much information about what to watch out for, what to take care of, who to talk to next, what to say to them, how to say it to them, all that, all those kinds of things. I was listening to Anne Chloe today, and she made four very dangerous phone calls in a row this morning. And she, and she was in the back room. I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, whatever you call it, snooping, something like that. But I could feel the her fear informing her about how to speak to people about dangerous things. And each one of the calls was successful. And afterwards she came in and she celebrated with me for about 30 seconds uh, of, of just um, how using the, the intelligence of the information field to navigate these dangerous spaces, how well it works. Because it, any one of those calls could have ended in um, uh, a conflict, a disappointment, a feeling of betrayal, a feeling of abandonment, feeling of rejection, like all of that. And, and instead, each one of the calls built more connection. And that's what these feelings are for. This is what this is all about. So, so even when you feel sad or scared or angry, you can, you can use that as a way of building this connection and feel glad about that. So the book says, no, you are not going crazy if you feel glad about being scared or if you feel glad about being sad, for example. This is how it actually is being alive how it is being alive with mature adult feelings in yourself. If you take responsibility for feeling happy in those two seconds, even if the happiness is about feeling angry, sad, or scared, then you begin noticing how many of those two seconds of happiness there are in your day. Suddenly you start feeling happy about feeling happy. So I'm, I'm not... And I think if I was writing this book now, I would have been more careful about uh, um, not trying to communicate that feeling happy is any better than feeling angry, sad, or scared, because in my opinion now, it is not. So I mean, I'm even feeling angry right now that the book is twisted a little bit towards the happiness thing right now. So I'm just, I want to say that I would have written it differently right now, just because it isn't about trying to be happy. It's trying. To, it's about more about trying to be, be but, present, but then, be, be here, be connected, be. be go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, be alive. I, I I propose that happy is not better, and it is different. It is a very different map of how it happens than anger, fear, or sadness. It's it's a it it yeah. It's it's very different. You know, it's it the way it happens, what it is, because it's like a really baseline core thing that exists. It's like almost like, you know, it's like uh, you have a, a flat thing and then anger happens and you go back flat and then sadness and you go back flat. And and, and it's yeah, there, I, I want to work on building a more 
robust map about joy because I, I, I see that it's, it is so unique compared to fear, anger, and sadness. And it's almost like joy just regenerates itself. Like it's, you know, just you feeling this neutrality throughout the day, like it regenerates itself through, um, yeah, like it doesn't have to be emotional if it's all day. It's just kind of regenerating yeah. itself. I mean, I hear what you're saying and I have this red light going, uh, 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 and the red light is simply about the, the, the su such a lack of, of research about fear, for example, or anger, for example, about they are also always there and they are also unique and they are also so rich in life experience and value in terms of energy and information. And I, I, my red light would just go on in trying to emphasize anything different about joy. And uh, because I, I probably 10 years ago when I wrote the book, something I would have, I would have just shook my head and said, yeah, but in the last years I've seen, I've developed my own access to these other emotions deeper. And it's, I'm so excited to be scared and angry and sad about stuff because there's, there's just this download that's coming from the universe. It's just from so rich. So I'm just adding a temper, a tempering of what you said, because I got a red light about it. Yeah. So, so can I go add, ahead? Add Stephanie, hi. Hi. I'm feeling something similar to what Jeff is saying. And the question that came into my mind is, since we talk about how um, feelings are for handling things, I'm, I'm trying to think about what handling joy would be involved in, because it's easier to understand how the anger, fear, and sadness lead to handling something, but I'm not, I'm not seeing how that applies to joy. And so I... Stephanie, your voice channel dropped out on my end, but I got your main question. Can you still hear me? Did my audio go out? Yeah, it I, was sorry. gone. My audio sometimes goes out like that. Um, that I, I'm sensing that there's between being and doing that, that, that anger, fear, and sadness have more things to do in terms of the handling and joy, there's less handling. So I'm curious if you yeah. can say more on that. So look, there's so much that happens with joy. For example, complimenting. I don't know the last time you complimented somebody in a transformational way, where through your compliment, they became a different person right before your eyes. Or to uh, be generous, to be unreasonably generous comes out of joy and, and generous in any form and to listen as a listening space in a way that uh, empowers people. Like the, the whole joy is about empowering other people and creating space of, of um, um, unfolding, like emergence, like uh, to hold a space of emergence where, where it isn't about this old, um, model of quote unquote leadership, but holding a space where uh, people's potential emerges 
and is celebrated. This, all of this stuff and much more is the action part of joy, if that helps. Yeah, that was actually really, really helpful. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I want yeah, to add, sorry? I, I want to add something. For, for me, the difference that occurs between anger, sadness, fear, and joy, on the other hand, is that these three feelings are mostly about things that are not there most of the time. Anger is for creating something that is not there or setting, saying stop to something that is not supposed to happen. Fear is about sensing what could happen and it should not happen or should happen or I want to happen better like that. And sadness is about also letting go of things that are not longer there. And the joy aspect for me is about this celebrating what is and, and but it needs all of that to kind of be in this evolutionary journey or to, to keep on moving. It needs, it needs all aspects of that. Great. So learning, I'm back in the book, learning to communicate about feelings is simple. You only have to memorize one sentence. The feeling communication sentence goes like this. Quote, I feel mad, sad, glad, or scared because. And I, we, we, I'm sure we practiced this all together once and you all said it. So I'm convinced that you can all have memorized this sentence. You simply fill in the blanks using your experience. And what's cool about this is that you can't be wrong about it. And so one of my favorite ways when I come together with a group of people no matter who they are, is we do a quick five second per person check-in, which is which is simply, what do you feel right now? As opposed, and you we ask you to keep it less than 10% intense. So you're not, you don't start talking about your mother. And so people just go around and we just have, and people say, well, I feel, I feel angry because the lighting is weird, or I I feel sad because I twisted my ankle this morning and I have to limp and I have the pain in my ankle, et cetera. And it's such a deep sharing about their uh, each person's humanity in this present moment, and they cannot be wrong about it, that it, it just brings people right close together. And so I encourage you to do that experiment, even with your family around the breakfast table, or even when you're at the bank with some, some banker and you're trying to get a loan for, for your Maserati 5000 GT, you know, sit down and the first thing you say is, I'd like to do a feelings check-in. I feel angry because I haven't done a feelings check-in all day and I feel 8% angry, something like, you know, and just go around the circle, it's fantastic. So the book says, uh, for example, while you when you say to someone, hello, if you were to deliver both the energy and the information of that communication verbally, you might say something like, I feel glad to say hello. Or you could also say, I feel angry that you expect me to say hello. And if I don't say hello, you're not going to like me. So I'm going to say potato instead of saying hello. Like, you know, you can just fill that out in a different way each time. So when you say I would like coffee and a donut, if you put the in, if you put the the feelings part of it, you would say I feel scared 
to ask for coffee and a donut because the coffee might give me a headache and the donut will make me fatter. So you might you might just say those things. The next, so this is this is about doing experiments and new practices. So you can do you can do experiments that are a little more risky. Remember that feelings work starts in phase one. So see section 5E about phase one and phase two of feelings work, which is simply learning to clearly identify and feel your feelings and emotions from zero to 100% intensity. This is phase one of feelings work. It should last you about three months. If you're doing possibility management feeling stuff for longer than three months and you're still walking up to people and going, I feel angry because you were late to this meeting. If you're, if you're doing that, you should be in phase two feelings work by then, which is to, which it, you use your anger to renegotiate deals, to, to uh, make proposals, for example, to establish new levels of agreement and interaction. That's what and creating possibility. So that's what um, the feelings are really for. So I'm just telling you, if after three, three months or so of phase one feelings work, it's time to move on to phase two, which is how to apply the feelings for conscious theater and conscious transformation stuff. Clinton, I just want to add just that even in phase two, phase one skill doesn't go away. So it doesn't mean that you never say, I feel angry, sad, glad, or scared. But it's just, it's only used for some, some moments, some purposes where the feelings are necessary in the communication as a transformational force. But all, and otherwise the phase two is um, whatever, using the, the information. Can you give an example? Of what? Of what you said, when, when the saying I feel is necessary for transformational. Mm. I would say some often in some kind of delicate delicate conversation of maybe there was a misunderstanding or conflict or, or and it would be okay I'm afraid that you didn't understand what I said and that would be appropriate to use the the feeling to and so can I repeat you know do you, can you repeat what I what you heard me say mm. yeah what, I would say something like that when it's a sensitive, when a sensitive conversation. Yeah, another example would be if you're communicating and there's feelings or emotions with somebody who is not familiar with feelings work, for you to say, I feel 18% angry because you, you said you would pay eight euros for a broken cup and you did not pay it, that if they, just the fact that you would use the word angry and not be screaming and jumping up and down is a shock to them. It's a, a really a surprise that you can, as a demonstration of the use of anger consciously at a certain percentage is a, it's really an example of archiarchy culture, next culture at work that can be very surprising for people. It opens up whole new doorways of, of relating. So that's another way you, you might use it is with people who aren't familiar with that. Feelings are not thoughts and feelings are not emotions. 
feelings are not mixed. They are mad, sad, glad, or scared. Whereas emotions can be mad, sad, glad, or scared or mixed. So anytime you have depression or aggression or uh, jealousy or, or, or um, uh, any kind of a mixed emotion, nostalgia, anything like that, those are emotions. So, so just be aware that, it, that you cannot have isolation or despair as a feeling. Those are all mixed emotions. So any kind of a mixed thing is an emotion. It's so great to have this distinctions between feelings and emotions because they come from different worlds. So phase two of feelings work is responsibly applying the energy and information of feelings towards essentially fulfilling your destiny and the energy and information of emotions for your healing and evolution work. That's phase two. In phase two of feelings work, there is no final mastery. It is, there is a no top end situation where you can keep learning more and becoming more skilled. There's no end in that. You, you do not become a black belt feelings practitioner. You know, it doesn't work like that. Ongoing evolutionary processes of continuing to develop your art is the path. It's the emotional path. So it's ongoing evolutionary processes. To begin this path, we start where we are. You start slowly and simply. You go to the post office and you say, like an example, like Anne Chloe said, I feel scared that there are not enough stamps on this envelope. You actually say, I feel 8% scared or 17% scared, whatever it is, you check in. You go to the cafe and you say, I feel I feel 31% angry because actually I'm already full and I want to eat this cake and that cupcake and those that pie. I want to I want to eat all this, but I'm 30 I'm full already, so I can't. Or it would make me uncomfortable. Or you call up your friend and you say, "I feel 22% sad because we have not talked in 2 weeks and I just simply miss talking to you." You know, this is opens whole new levels of connection that, that skips the blah, blah domain and goes right to the heart of the matter. Because then you can start communicating feelings with your partner, your kids, even your boss and your neighbors. The form for communicating feelings is precise. Feelings are personal and inarguable your experience of feelings is subjective, not objective. Because what I mean by objective is if it was objective, everyone would have the same experience of the same thing. But you, uh, with feelings, each person has a different percentage of different feelings for the same thing because of who we are. We have different, whole different relationships to things. So feelings are, are subjective. There are no right feelings or wrong feelings. If you give two people identical experiences, they will invariably have wildly different feeling responses. If you tell two people, your dog just died, one will feel sad to have lost a friend and the other will feel glad that the dog's suffering is over. And so 
tell two people, we only have vanilla ice cream and one will feel scared not to ever taste spumoni again, while the other will feel angry that it was vanilla ice cream last week. So sharing about feelings is a courageous act of letting yourself be known. It's a scary thing to let yourself be known. I mean, that's uh, like almost almost all the time when when like for example, we open an opportunity for people to speak here in in our team in the study group. People say, well, oh, I don't know what to say. I will. I feel scared to speak because then we will be seen. That we will be known. It's a scary thing we've been taught. It's a scary thing to let ourselves be known. And so this is a simple way to take a forward step in letting yourself be known, living out loud instead of in secret. <clears throat> the following communication example respects the vulnerability of revealing your inner experience. It demonstrates the expression of feelings using a completion loop. So here's this conversation between Jane and Bob. Jane says, I feel scared to look you in the eyes because I think that you will see right through me and that you will not like what you see. Did anybody ever have that kind of fear before? Okay. Bob says, what I heard you say is that you hate it when I act superior to you. Jane says, no, that is not what I said. What I said is that I feel scared to look you in the eyes because I feel naked and judged by you. And I think that you are disgusted by me or might be disgusted by me. Bob says, what I heard you say is that you will not look me in the eyes because I internally criticize you. James says, no, that is not what I said. What I said is that I feel scared to look you directly in the eyes because I feel totally exposed and you will see that I am not perfect. Bob says, what I heard you say is that you feel afraid to look in my eyes because you think I will see that you are not perfect. Do you, do you get this? It took a while for them to, to complete this communication. So this, this takes work. It takes attention. But if you do not do this work and to pay this kind of attention, you will be screwed. Your communications will die before they're even started. So Jane says, yes, thank you. That is what I said. I feel heard. Your turn. Bob says, I feel angry because nobody is perfect. I am not perfect. And I do not care that you are not perfect. I need you to be imperfect because then you are real. And when you do not let me look into your eyes, when you feel scared when I look into your eyes and you look away, then I feel rejected. And I do not get to be close to you in a way that I want to be close to you. Jane says, what I heard you say is that you feel angry if I do not 
look into your eyes because you feel rejected. You do not care that I am not perfect. You just want to be close to me. Bob says, yes, thank you, your turn. Jane says, I feel sad, dot, 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 you know, because he's been feeling, you know, that they could have solved this problem before, that they could have had this conversation before. So this kind of conversation is fantastic. It is a high drama conversation. These people together are trying to take responsibility, talking to each other. And to any action that takes responsibility is high drama. And so it is, they are not having an argument. This is not a fight. This is not a conflict. These are two worlds trying to communicate with each other. Every human being has their own worldview, their own box. We're in our own, uh, the, the, you know, we're wearing different colored glasses. And so to, to get it to, at any time almost that we can communicate back and forth like this, it's ecstatic. And so I'm encouraging you to do these kinds of conversations and not let them slide by because very soon after this, if the communication is not completed, you will be resentful. And it only takes one resentment to destroy intimacy. Relationships do not die from a lack of love. They die from a lack of intimacy. Phyllis, could you say what you said out loud? Are you in a place where you could say what you wrote out loud to everybody? Can you just say that instead of add it? Yes, I just said that I feel fear saying that I'm angry because sometimes people have fear about being, they have fear of anger. And so they don't want me to be angry and they can't hear me. Then they can't hear what I have to say. And so a lot of times I have to soften it or um, think of a different way to say it. Yeah. This is a... This is a time when it's so useful to say something like, I feel three, three and a half percent angry because, and you can throw in a low percentage and, and people will get it that, hey, she's just saying that I didn't keep my agreement and she's 6% angry or 2% angry. It's a real simple way to start bringing the anger into the conversation when you use these low percentage numbers. Because people normally, you say, I feel angry, and they think it's 70 or 80% intense, and they freak out. You know, that's, that's how they've been trained. But it, it's, as, a, as a possibilitator, you just can throw in a low percentage at the beginning and, and use that for a way to open up that kind of conversation. You might want to try that as an experiment. Yeah, and I think, I think instead of saying a percentage, I might just say low level or <laughs> something like that because I don't know that people hear the percentage. You know, I don't know that they understand what that means, 3%. Yeah, you could say, I feel apricot anger. <laughs> and people go, how angry can an apricot get? You know, and not so angry. Shortcake, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, instead of hurricane anger, you know, or atom bomb anger, you could say. Yeah. Pillow. You could say, Slightly. You know, Soft-boiled egg anger. <laughs> I feel pancake anger. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Clinton. Thanks. 
Anything um, else from somebody else right now? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, when I was, when we were in Mafra, I held space for uh, a couple to have a conversation with each other. And in the beginning, what the only thing that they were doing was, uh, was, was saying, I feel this about because of this. And they, and they weren't completing, the, well, at first they weren't completing the communication with each other. But then I, I, even after when they were completing the communication with each other, what I noticed is that there was something missing in their, in the completion of that communication. It was, so one of the partners was saying, I feel, I feel mad because we're leaving this training and uh, this thing isn't, you don't have a plan. This thing doesn't have a plan, this pattern that we talked about. And, and what it would happen after he would complete this communication would be that he would say, I am angry that you, because of you. So what they were doing were using I am, the, the language of feeling to actually not take responsibility and, and say, I feel angry because of what you did. And, and, and then the other person would say, and I feel angry because of what you did. And so can you say a little bit more about, uh, yeah, how, because it's very, it's a very different conversation than the one that you've just read and described. So how can I also, because it's, it's in the purpose. And so how can, how, how can to convey that? Because I've seen a lot of people using, I feel angry or sad because you haven't talked to me in a long time. And then they just drop it in the space, kind of hoping that the other person would pick up this problem. You know, I'd like to speak about that just just briefly because I, because people really react when you say you. I always use I, um, you know, because I really miss you or because um, my needs aren't being met or because, you know, it's all about me. And so, um, yeah, but even still, some people are, have fear around anger, regardless of how it's expressed. But I do think it's really important to say me, I, something like that. So they don't feel, they don't hear the word you because that's an accusation. It can be taken as an accusation. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, I, Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. I, I, this is like, this was part of my phase one was learning that. And whenever I use uh, that, that statement and I, and I say about what's, what they're doing, it didn't work. It, ne it really never worked. And so that it's just like, what is it about me? That's that, uh, that person is doing, what does it reflect to me? And I, I also want to touch really quickly, Phyllis, on what, on what you said, that when you feel, when, when, when there's fear about, about the anger, I can also communicate. I I've, I've practiced communicating saying, I feel fear about, about telling you about my anger. And that, also creates a new space where then I can, then I can say why I feel angry that or and that I feel angry, especially with someone who's not in this work, like that to, to not say about my talk about my fear is to almost manipulate the other person because that fear, that fear is there. And I can communicate that first. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's excellent. Excellent. A piece of knowledge there. Thank you. 
that I just want to read the next couple of paragraphs because it addresses exactly what we're talking about. The book says, notice that at first, Bob was listening more to himself than he was listening to Jane. He listened to his own projections, you know, his own reactions, his own needs, and did not hear Jane's feelings. Bob heard the information, but he did not hear the carrier impulse, which was the emotions part. After a couple of rounds using a completion loop, Bob got enough feedback to shift his listening. As So this is about negotiating your communications with people. So your example of using the I statements is a, a form of negotiating, which you will probably have to do more than one time. People who are accustomed to saying you, meaning I or one, uh, it's difficult shift, but they can. And you can just simply say, I'd like, we've, we have agreed that, if you're, that you would say I instead of you. And so the same thing is true about the, uh, the thing that you just said, Jeff, about how another person can uh, put the, uh, like it doesn't really work to apply the feelings energy as a, as a weapon. It will say more about that here. So it's like, after a couple of rounds, using a completion loop, Bob gets enough feedback to shift his listening as soon as he receives Jane's whole message, both the information and the, the emotions, the information and the emotions, then the message is complete and it becomes Bob's turn to speak. So the purpose of communicating about feelings is to be in love together. That is the purpose so that more love happens. Clinton, you can, can, I, can I say something about this? Go. I, this is also the specialty of possibility mediation to coach people to be able to have this kind of conversation. Mostly possibility mediation is about that where one, you would invite one person for them to share their feeling in this I form with all the feedback and coaching that it takes for that to happen. And then have the other person complete the communication also not from their own listening or listening to themselves, but listening to the other person. And, and I, I just remember one example where, where I did that and it took us an hour to go through like two feelings from one person and two feelings from the other person because there was so much of this resentment and expectations and, and all these emotions. And, and I think that we need this. We need mediators everywhere instead of lawyers, instead of, uh, you know, in, in hospitals, in, 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 in schools, in wherever. And, and so if this is your specialty, if you can feel this, I want to coach people so that they can create love together, then there's a team already starting to practice this possibility mediation. And, and we need a lot more of possibility mediators. And it's a specialty of the possibilitator training. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. This is also the premise of um, nonviolent communication, which some people might have familiarity with. And it's just focused on expressing that the, the anger, sadness, or fear is originating in the unmet needs of the person feeling it, not, uh, um, not being caused by another person. But then also uh, 
being neutrally observing the actions that you may that the person who's feeling the unmet needs and feeling feelings from the unmet needs may want to request uh, something to change um, using that impulse which we're you know getting from the feelings. I step step oh, just one Stephanie. I'm not sure I should say this, but I. I'm sure enough that I'm going to try, which is simply the possibility management work. If you try to reframe it in the nonviolent communications work, you lose the possibility management work. And so all I'm saying is um, I encourage you and everybody to take this as a new plate of strawberries and not try to package it up as something that you've already tasted or tried or understand or have used like that. If you package it up like that into nonviolent communication, you lose the transformational power that's in the possibility management element. So I would just encourage people not to try to understand possibility management in the framework of some other work. But that, yeah. <clears throat> not sure you heard that because it's pretty frozen, but. Ingrid. Yeah. Thank you. Ingrid, go ahead. You're muted, Ingrid. Thank you. I there is sadness as as, uh, as an emotion in me because when I try to apply this type of of communication with my husband, he 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 just he doesn't want to repeat it. He, 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 he says something and it's not what I said. And I said, it's not what I said. And then, then he says again, uh, it's, it's stupid. I don't want to do that. He, he, he simply stops. <sighs> and I feel I did an emotional healing process this morning with Devin, but, and, and, and it was really good. And then I just want, yeah, this emotion is still there. And I feel so often uh, I don't know what to do. So I, I say, okay, it's, it's not what I said. And he would not repeat. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I I'm feeling angry because it's so hard for me to. Yeah, and I have I have fear about sharing this, but I like for example. I want to say I feel angry when Jeff looks away after he kisses me like so I'm pointing a finger at him and like and okay I, I learning about all of this I know it's about me but like it I am I feel angry because it doesn't feel like it's about me <laughs> and I and I would like some possibility or feedback on what that is yeah this is called negotiating 
It's negotiating five body intimacy. And it's a set of skills that we are not taught. And so what's really useful in those kinds of cases, and there are hundreds or thousands maybe of those kinds of cases where you might wanna make a proposal. And you would say, or Jeff, I'd like to do an experiment. And the experiment is after we kiss, we look in each other's eyes for 24 seconds and then we can look away. Mm. And he will freak out, he's, over, he's freaking out right now. And because I, I don't have, know why, what? I, I, I have proposed that. Okay, did he accept your, your offer? Yeah, but it is not remembered. Okay, then you have a hammer in your back pocket. You take this thing and you just bash him in the head with it and say, we have an agreement. And I know that I, I'm not going to expect you to keep your agreements. I know you're a, an ape. You know, you have a short-term memory and you're an ape and you don't get it that when you make agreements, it actually is an agreement. But you hit him a few times with something really hard in the head and apes can learn. I'm serious. I said, you make an agreement with me, you keep your agreement with me. Otherwise, I'm going to go make agreements with a different ape. Any questions about that? So apes can learn this, but it takes, you need a hammer. But, uh, you know, Ingrid, she has the same thing. She has not successfully negotiated intimacy with the ape that she's living with. So you have to make a decision after a while. You know, does, can your ape learn something or not? And if you make offers and proposals for a certain sort of intimacy and the, the person across from you refuses your offers or doesn't understand them, you know, so they can't, or they don't keep their agreement, you know, they just bullshit you and give you a bullshit answer about, oh yeah, you know, and then they don't keep their agreements. Okay. How long you want to keep suffering like that? I mean, you know, it's up to you to decide about, about your life. And, but you do not have to stay in a situation with somebody who doesn't understand your offers or doesn't keep their agreements. You do not have to stay in that situation. Any questions about that? Emma. I, I heard you say that that you gave me a possibility of saying if you don't like I heard like an ultimatum Emma if you do not take yourself seriously who will yeah <sighs> we do not get to live so long you know we get to live however we get to live but as long and it's not known. And so what are you going to do now with yourself? But if you do not take yourself seriously, the universe will not either. And you can take yourself quite seriously. You can take yourself earnestly. Your word can change the world. You can make promises and keep them. You can make offers and negotiate intimacies and keep your part of the bargain. If the other person does not, you can renegotiate. And if they don't do it, you can do something completely different. 
The world works like this, but if you are wishy-washy, if you do not respect your own word, if you do not respect your boundaries, if you do not respect your offers, you know, your proposals, if you do not respect your own proposals, who will? This is such an important thing. And uh, I, I encourage, it's such a wonderful mm, open space to work deals in. You can make deals that are off the wall. We've been having trainings more and more in how to negotiate, make linear proposals and transformational proposals. And the, 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 the quality of experience change that can happen through a transformational proposal, an accepted and kept transformational proposal, it's off the charts in terms of, and, and we, we live in these tiny little domains of, well, maybe they love me, maybe they don't, you know, maybe, maybe I can try to ask for something, but probably people don't understand me, so I may as well be alone, or maybe I, I, I should give up on myself because they gave up on me, or they gave up on themselves, so I don't have, nobody takes themselves seriously, so why should I, why, am I, can I really take a stand for myself, can I really make offers that are healing and transformational and then if they're not accepted go somewhere else can i do these things and it's like the world is really designed elegantly and the the kinds of spaces and opportunities that we can create using energetic and verbal agreements and negotiations is is it's it's marvelous and we're not trained in this. So it's, it's taken me a long time to discover these domains and I'm, I'm, I wish for you each to have them. I want you each to have all that because you can make offers that are either accepted or rejected or modified by the other person's offers in return and then you can modify them back and the outcome can be that both of you get what you want and you need. But if you, if, if the person that you're trying to make offers and negotiations with is incapable of integrity or incapable of self-respect or incapable of taking a stand or respecting your stand or, or making offers that are other than linear, if they're making just dead offers back, you know, you, you can go negotiate with someone else. And so that's, it's always an option for us the world is fabulous in supporting people who go forward with that kind of mm, elegance or self-respect and are bold in, in the kind of uh, spaces they create and hold and invite people into. So the world really respects that and holds that. But it starts with you. It starts with you respecting what you're offering and creating and taking a stand for and, and please do it. Respect that part. Respect that part of yourself and open up a space, move into it, invite somebody to come in this space with you. And if they don't or cannot, for whatever reason, you don't have to stick around and be a victim of that. You do not have to. Thank you for asking that question, Emma. That was 
important. Thank you. Was somebody else going to say something about this stuff? Clinton, I feel fear. I feel fear because there's an aspect of having my words land in another person. And I sense that that happens often where I'm engaging somebody and they don't engage me back or they don't hit me with the club and tell me like, no, this is important. You're not listening to me and hit me. So it lands in me. So there's a part of me that really fears that somehow I convince people not to take that effort and make something land in me. And I don't know that make is the right word, but that they're grounded and centered when they hit me with their message. Like I made an agreement with you, you're not keeping the agreement. This has consequences. Be present now and do you want the consequences or not? Mark, why would you why would you hold that up for somebody else to do for you rather than you doing it with yourself? <clears throat> it's a pattern I'm seeing. It's okay, a well, pattern no, where it's not going to work out. Because you cannot count, my experience is you cannot count on other people policing you. Like I cannot count on other people policing me. I either handle it or I don't. And then if I don't, it does not get handled. I cannot count on somebody monitoring me and policing my evolution or my transformation. Like, so it's a child's point of view. It's a child ego state contamination, expecting other people to clean up your mess. Can I say, can I add something? Go ahead. I, I think there's been a, I'm just realizing right now, a misconception or twisting of the feedback culture <clears throat> that is offered in possibility management or next culture. That when we offer the possibility of feedback, for example, in Expand the Box or even labs, we set up particular situation where it is a beep shift go, other people give you feedback and that's a particular transformational space. And, and I've, heard, I, I've heard so many times people being in a space say, I wanna receive all the feedback I get, please give me feedback. And that's actually avoiding responsibility, like Clinton, you were saying, of actually doing the work. And, and then uh, uh, the, the way to take responsibility is, would be to ask question to people. God, I did this, it didn't work, what happened for you? Is there something that you want to negotiate with me? Or is there something that you have withheld or what, whatever, but it would be from this, this general announcement of like Doris said in the beginning, like, please give me feedback is a total rescue move. And yeah, and I think it's just a, it's a, it's a manipulation of the possibility of the feedback culture offered in possibility management. Thank you, that landed. What, Mark, if it landed, what, what will you try next? 
What I will try next is to say, I see that I failed to communicate something. Please help me to find a way of stating where I am so that it lands for you. What can I say that will help to establish communication between us? And to listen when they tell me that they didn't hear what I was saying. And to go with that approach versus I'm, I'm, I suspect I'm putting responsibility for the hearing on the other person. Yeah, I mean, I think back to what Ingrid said, you know, because she made, I think Ingrid made very clear proposals more than once. And that there, in the other person, there can be these hidden agendas to not hear, to not want to hear. To, and uh, most people, I mean, we had this radical discovery in the, in the possibilitator training about this thing called radical relating how almost everybody was, was unable to radically relate, meaning to use radical honesty and radical reality with radical reliance on the space and Bryce principles to create this immediacy, to, commate, to create immediacy in, uh, uh, in the relationship. And I think mostly it came out of fear of being seen or being having to be consequent. And so we're so trained in avoiding responsibility and hiding out and being sleazy and being in, in, in saying one thing and meaning something else or, or meaning even the opposite. And so you're, you're dealing with people who are experts in non-communication. And so hacking through that is a, you know, you're in, you're in a country where marshmallow, the marshmallow package is huge around people's personalities. And so you, um, I don't envy the challenge that you have. At the same time, each of us has found a circle of friends or developed a circle of friends somehow of people who have some kind of resonance to us theoretically and in the in your circle of friends there should be people who you could communicate with so if you're trying to communicate with the general public in a certain kind of way and expect an outcome probably you will be disappointed but over time you can develop a circle of friends with whom you can negotiate precisely and communicate well in both directions and people feel seen and heard and met and uh and collaborative so I'm not sure in your situation, Mark, but um, this is, it's possible to do that. <clears throat> yes. I, I have nine-year-old <clears throat> relationships that I'm applying new terminology, new words to. So I have my practice environment. It's, it's doing the practice. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to follow up um, back to um, Emma's question, which looks like she just stepped away for a second. But um, you were discussing negotiation in, um, in that environment. And 
Um, this actually ties to the premise of the nanonation that I came up with several years ago, um, because I've noticed that this is definitely true for me. And um, I feel like for many women that I know, that seems to be a more difficult thing for women um, and has to do with negotiation that the the power in the negotiation in some ways comes from the ability to walk away from the table and say, no deal. And that's where you were saying about saying, I will negotiate with somebody else. Um, but we really struggle with that when the cost of walking away from the table is so high. Can you say I please? Oh, so, okay. So, well, <laughs> I can definitely, yes, I, I can speak from in my case and I, I I've observed it among others as well, but, um, it's very difficult to walk away from the table when the, the cost of walking away is so high. And uh, I wanna uh, definitely reach out or to offer um, with Emma or other people who are interested in at least from the uh, female perspective of uh, looking at how to work on being able to negotiate um, better and, and um, network to reduce the costs of, uh, of walking away from the table in negotiations like that. I mean, yeah, this is fabulous to start developing this, uh, the negotiation culture, the proposal culture. I mean, at the same time, you're not, perhaps not looking at the cost of staying. And if you, I agree. Yeah, if you have your numbness bar up so high that you don't, you can't sense the cost of staying. I mean, it looks like the cost of leaving is really high, but what's the cost of staying? And yeah. and if you and if you don't feel the cost of staying in proportion, you know, in in a in a real in a real sense, you're you're not in a, you know, you really need a connection with an accurate connection with current reality to negotiate stuff. You know, and it's difficult sometimes. I mean, I studied engineering and physics, mathematics, stuff like that. <clears throat> and it, it just gave me, uh, I can build stuff. You know, I have this sense of, of reality. I drop a hammer on my toe. I know how it's gonna hurt, et cetera. There are consequences. And so, if you get separated from that kind of accurate assessment of current reality, your negotiations are going to be fuzzy. They will be in a, a kind of fantasy world negotiations. And so you need your center, your grounding cord, your bubble, your point of origin, your space, your bright principles. You need an, an accurate assessment of current reality whose space is this in which you are doing the negotiating. If you're trying to negotiate in a space that's owned by someone else who's called in shadow principles and has a big gremlin, your, your negotiations are not gonna have any success. They'll just be gremlin food. It'll just be entertainment for the gremlin, your little proposals. So whose space is it in which you're doing the negotiating? You know, people often call in uh, lawyers hoping to have a, a legal or a sane space grounded in reality to have a negotiation. But the, the lawyer's space for negotiating has one aim only, and that is to put more money in their pocket, the pocket of the lawyer. 
And so that's what Anne Cloy was saying is that there's an entirely new uh, profession of possibility mediation that can set up a space that is uh, a, a bright principle space, a grounded space that doesn't let a gremlin take over and and devour and twist uh, you know, and, and disregard any kind of proposal that it wants. And so you have to be careful of who owns the space in which you're doing the negotiating. So when you are the space holder of the negotiation space, then you have the option to shut the space down and leave. If somebody else is the owner of the space, you're just a pawn. You're just the lawnmower guy. Actually, that's one of the reasons why I don't live with my partner and I live in a house with a couple of other women was to have more control over the space that the negotiation was happening in. But it's also showing that it's not just a physical space either. That's one element, but it's still difficult because we're, we're working with a space that's not just the, the physical too. Yeah, the energetic space is more powerful even than the physical space. I just I want to throw in that that was a conversation I had with a woman in the intimacy journey in regards to this negotiation is to to even start at the level of negotiating the context of your relationship, the whole context. And that, for example, if you don't have in the context of relationship that there's evolution possible or feedback is possible or negotiating is possible, then there's, there is no space for negotiation. If in the, in, the, in the framework of the relationship, that is not allowed. So it would actually start like from zero of what to negotiate, what is the context of your relationship? What, what level of responsibility uh, is the space of relationship? Will we take in this space of relationship? Is evolution part of this space of relationship? Is uh, so feedback or, or liquid state or feelings? Like the whole thing needs to be negotiated. And if, if that doesn't start with that, I, then I think it's over. I think trying to in, include, like integrate negotiation after that, it's too late, basically. Mm -hmm. I agree with that too. And I actually set my current relationship up on the basis of holacracy with roles that, that from, from day one to do that. And even still this need for like a hammer sometimes is, is still part of it. So it's like, I agree that's helpful, good place to start. And then these other tools and things are still definitely needed to complement all of it. You know, people can be surprised how effective a hammer can be certain times. I mean, the last paragraph in this section says, adult responsible feelings and emotions are not used for blaming, justifying, resenting, complaining, being right, or making someone else wrong. Okay, those are, those are not adult responsible feelings. That would be emotions used to create low drama. To avoid using emotions for fueling low drama, you will need to build and use a low drama detector. 
And the next section is called build and use a, no, a, a low drama detector. So we'll, we'll be getting into that next time. But what I'm saying is you can detect with your low drama detector, you can detect what the purpose of the space is. And so that's the point is if the purpose of the space is not high drama or love or healing or transformation or communication or connection or, or these kinds of things, if it is not that, then it is low drama. And you can detect that going in. You don't, no matter what, what people say is not necessarily revealing their purpose. And that's what the low drama detector helps you do is detect the actual underlying purpose, the, the behind the scenes purpose. And it's so important to not be naive about that stuff. So I would like to share, as I feel like I'm getting cues from Jeff over here to go. Yeah, I feel an immense amount of joy in sharing, um, but I also feel a lot of fear because I'm new here. Um, and I'm, I'm having a realization or a breakthrough in this conversation um, that I'd like to share. And I've been in relationship uh, committed to one person for 15 years, uh, marriage for 10. And I realized the pattern loop that we were stuck in by me not expressing anger or having self-sovereignty, which is my own personal boundaries and a mountain of resentment um, that had built up over that time of relationship. And recently I had a moment where I put my foot down. I expressed anger that I didn't want to live like this anymore because it came to that point where I felt so sovereign in my being of this is not how I want to move forward with my life in this way, in this relationship. And when I was able to sit and express that with the power of anger behind it in a very healthy way, rather than my gremlin coming out and that low vibrational drama cycle that we had been in, um, and got very clear and direct in my communication, a huge shift has happened um, because I was seen. I was able to put that power out there of my anger of this is enough. I do not want to live this way rather than that low vibration cycle. So that was huge for me and taking accountability and responsibility for my life and how I wanted to show up or not be in that cycle anymore. And once I did that, he shifted as well to be able to hear me and to show up differently. And we're still working on it. And then the, this work has now come after that, but it was a reflection back of like, wow, that's when I use my anger as power because I feel so much fear around expressing my anger that I play this low vibrational pattern over and over and over again. So it was huge to feel that, that, that self-sovereignty, that power that like, no, I'm taking my life back and I'm putting my foot down. I'm not going to play this game anymore. Reflections. Thank you for hearing yeah. me. Ashley, you said you were having a, a breakthrough or something. Is it, is it different from that? Or was that, was that it? That was the breakthrough it was kind of really seeing um, you guys reflect on having that limit that I feel as well in expressing my sovereignty, my power, my anger, that this isn't working for me. And once I was able to do that, I was met with how can we make this work and what do we need to do to shift it? 
rather than the pattern that I was stuck in by holding it back and not expressing it. Does that help? Thank you. Yeah, great. Thank you. You know, there are these, these lines. You can, you can hold these lines and you can live your life with what I mean by a line is a, a, a boundary or a distinction or a negotiation that's agreed upon. And you can hold, you can live in this framework. And, but a, a lot of us have a tendency to make the lines soft or fuzzy. And what that means is then they're gummy bands. You know, they're not really there or they kind of get lost in the sand, you know, and oh, where was the line? I forget, but you don't have to forget. <clears throat> but if the habit is to be a nice person or to be accepting or loving or whatever, and then you have this no lines at all, and, and then you're living in this world where what's the universe supposed to do with you? You know, if you say a line and you don't keep it, if you make a promise and you don't keep it, if you take a stand and you don't stand where you say you're standing and you don't really take care about it, actually care about it, the universe has no way to energetically uh, give you new opportunities or to shift you in, as a, a player in a different game and to put you into a, a more interesting situation. You're just this kind of a sloppy side piece that the universe can't use in interesting games. And so it's up to each of us People don't realize this. This is why we're, we talk about the Earth Coincidence Control Office, where the universe is paying attention. And if your word is fuzzy or rubbery, you know, not clear, not precise, and it, and it can be, you know, really flexible or just disappear, well, the universe can't work with that in a way that's useful for the universe. And so then you just get stuck in this backwater, you know, this kind of a swirly, swampy slime patch. And your, li your life goes by and it's, you created it. And I wish we had classes about this in grade school or how to think or how to make clear negotiations and how to make agreements and keep them and how to establish a working relationship with the energetics of the universe in such a way that you can serve as an as a interesting player in interesting games on the, on the evolution of consciousness of the planet. You can do that. We just haven't had classes in it. And, and I, maybe that's the next book is how to, how, to, how to be a high player in an interesting game on the planet, something like that. It's like really, there's so, it's so straightforward, but nobody talks about it and nobody demonstrates it. And we just get left in the fuzzy zone trying to be nice people. Ah, oh, it's horrible. You know, horrible. Yeah, actually, there's like there's so much potential lost. Do you know what I mean? In those in those 15 years, you know, you finally put your foot down. What has been lost? Okay, there's a lot. And so imagine putting your foot down day one and staying there and say, this is how it is going to go. This is how it is. I said this. It works like this. I, I'm a nice person and fuck me over and you're dead. I mean, you know, it's not a nice thing to say, but it's like, I'm not interested in having uh, somebody break their agreements with me over and over. It, I mean, you're talking to a guy who did that for 25 years. It's like, okay, don't, 
you know, you can learn quicker than I did, but I really appreciate your sharing about that. Yeah. And I, I think what I, I, I see was that I was being walked over, but I was allowing myself to be walked over because I never put that boundary out of like, Hey, I'm not going to put up with this. And so that's where the mountain of resentment was created. And this dysfunction and this low vibrational drama pattern kept looping in our relationship. And to, to get so clear on that and express the power behind the anger allowed a shift to happen. Can you keep the, can you <laughs> working keep, on it? <laughs> can you keep being that kind of player? That's what I'm saying. And can that's you, where I still feel the fear of expressing my anger. And I'm working on that now, just expressing, I feel fear and expressing anger. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a thing called rage club. Rian is holding a rage club starting Tuesday, starting tomorrow. Get in a rage club and, and once a week you practice. There's so many cool experiments you can do with anger that show up in your everyday life. So if, if, if I don't know how they can get in touch with Brian there, but um, there's a, Brian, can you say? Yes, Ashley, on t there's a telegram group for the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love study group. And I think Anne Chloe has sent the link or she will send the link now in the chat so you can join the group and I can find you there. And I will send you a message about Rage Club. It's starting tomorrow. Anyway, for any, anybody who's, who's interested in, in hacking your world to make it more precise and more clear and more definite and more interesting, you need your anger to do that. And I don't just mean going around yelling at people. What I mean is your ability to cause things to happen or not happen. This is anger. And so if you're, please, please do the Rage Club work. It will give you a whole new connection to the, the world. And there's a website just called rageclub.org. And, but get in a Rage Club. It's like a four week or eight week long thing. And it's just fantastic. Really fantastic. And on Clinton and on Thursday, I'm going to be hosting a, introduction to rage club which is yes. it'll it'll give you a nice warm-up and i'll also drop that link into this group as well and it's free <clears throat> so everybody come <laughs> i mean and i just i'm just letting people know the intro to rage club is not some polite conversation about rage club it's really action so it's yes. a fun a fun space to be in all right. Well, thank you all for being here this week and thank you for your work. I really appreciate that. It's really thank you, Clinton. Thank, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thank you, Clinton. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye, Mark. <laughs> <laughs>